Welcome back, everybody, to episode six. I can't believe it's already been six episodes. So six weeks of awesome baseball research and also six, five or six weeks of the 2022 MLB baseball season. It's been it's been a lot of fun, you know, doing these podcasts. It's been a lot of fun keeping up on baseball, watching a lot of baseball. Got a lot more into it this year, of course, with the podcast. Have to have my research down, have to know what is going on in the MLB every single day and also get you with those picks and my daily awards for best in the bump and best in the box. So just happy to be here for episode six. We're going to jump right into the news for this week. We're starting out with Dusty Baker, who was the first black manager to 2000 wins, and he was the 12th to get to the feat in history of all managers. So he reached the 2000 wins last Tuesday when the Astros beat the Seattle Mariners. As I said, he became the first black manager to 2000 wins and was the 12th in MLB history to reach that milestone. He's now sitting at 11th with 2005 wins, and he's just three behind Hall of Famer Leo Derusher. And everyone on that list, including Mr. Leo Derusher, is in the Hall of Fame. So I believe, and most analysts and most sports sports um, sports fans, MLB fans, believe that he is going to make it into the Hall of Fame. I think it is a it's a lock. It's solidified at this point. He's just a winning coach. He has managed five teams, including the Giants, Cubs, Reds, Nationals, and the now Astros. And he has an over 500 records, over 500 record with four of those teams, except for the Chicago Cubs. And he has brought all of those five teams, even the Cubs, to the playoffs, which is the most ever. Second most is four, of course, but he is the only manager in MLB history with five teams making the playoffs, five different teams. I also read that he coached um, the Astros' new shortstop, Jeremy Pena. He coached his dad in his first managerial win back in the day with the Giants. He saw Hank Aaron break Babe Ruth's home run record, and then he also saw Barry Bonds break that record by Hank Aaron. Uh, So he's been around the league quite a bit. He has no ring as a manager, but he has won the 1981 World Series when he was playing on the Dodgers. And in his playing career, he was a two-time All-Star and also a Gold Glover. So congratulations to Dusty Baker. While he is getting up there in age, I do believe he has some great years being a manager left in him. He's uh, managing a great, great Houston Astros team that can make another World Series run. And even if they don't, I think he can find somewhere. He'll land somewhere, if not staying in Houston, with uh, with that pedigree that he will get somewhere to get another team to the World Series. We go back to Kelsey Whitmore from last week. I mentioned Kelsey Whitmore was a two-way player. You know, her own type of Shohei Otani in the Atlantic League. And this week she made her first pitching appearance. Um, she was the first woman to sign with a professional team affiliated with the MLB, as we said last week. And was the first woman to be in the starting lineup, as we said last week. But she did take the mound in an Atlantic League, Atlantic League game this week. She was called to pitch in the ninth inning with the bases loaded and two outs on Sunday. And she got a fly out to completely shut down the Lexington Legends in the ninth inning. As I said, just a clutch pitcher coming in with three uninherited runs. And she really got that last out to shut down that rally really quick. They went on to lose that game against the Legends. But she did shut down that threat and was very clutch coming in in a very, very stressful stressful situation. So shout out Kelsey Whitmore for doing great things for women in the MLB and MLB affiliated leagues such as the Atlantic League. Congratulations and we expect so much more. We expect to see Kelsey Whitmore in the news so much more often. Next, we're going to go to the Mets. Not as much news, but I thought it was pretty historic. Uh, So, you know, it's kind of newsworthy. They were down six runs in the last inning. On Thursday to the Philadelphia Phillies, they went on to score seven runs, and they were the first team to win, trailing six runs in the ninth. Uh, the previous teams were 0-330, so safe to say that luck and time and history was not on their side. Their last win of six or more runs in the ninth was in 1997. Uh, so in this game, Starling Marte led off with an infield single, Lindor then homered to bring in two more runs. Pete Alonso doubled. Uh, Eduardo Escobar lined out. 
Jeff McNeil singled. Mark Canna reached in, on an infield single to score Alonzo, so that's three runs. Dom Smith struck out, and then all with two outs, we have even more clutch play from the New York Mets coming back around the order. You got J.D. Davis, who doubled to score McNeil, so four runs. Nimmo singled to score Canna and Jankowski. So that is six runs, so they are now tied. And then Starling Marte once again delivered, hitting a deep, deep double to score Nimmo to go up one in the ninth. And then, of course, Edwin Diaz comes in to get a strikeout and then a ground out and then another strikeout to finish off the game. The MLB had 857 consecutive losses when trailing by six or more in the ninth. So the Mets coming back with just tremendous play in the ninth inning, you know, just make history for that that great Mets team that is, you know, seeing so much success this year. Their lineup and pitching has really been there for them, especially their their lineup in this game. Uh, they beat a decent, not great Philadelphia Phillies team, and I have a friend from Philadelphia, and he was heartbroken and shattered to hear what had occurred in Philadelphia on Thursday night. So congratulations, Mets, for making yet again, you know, more history this year and just doing great things as an organization and representing representing New York and New Jersey so well, similar to my Yankees. And then next we're going to go to Detroit, where we got Miguel Cabrera hitting his 600th double. He hit his 600th double in Houston in the second hitting off of starter Framber Valdez to put the Tigers up. He's only one of three players to join the club of 600 doubles, 500 home runs, and 3,000 hits. The other players are Hank Aaron and, of course, our soon-to-be-retired, soon-to-be-Hall of Famer Albert Pujols, who returned to St. Louis this year. Uh, You know, Pujols and Cabrera are chasing history together. They're finishing off tremendous Hall of Fame, you know, just top-the-line careers. Uh, Albert Pujols this year and probably Miguel Cabrera soon. We're probably going to be seeing an end to his career soon. Miguel Cabrera also also passed Frank Robinson on the all-time RBI list with 1,813. He has 1,120 extra base hits, and he passed George Brett for 18th all-time with that 600 double. He's only two extra base hits behind the great, great Manny Ramirez of the Red Sox fame. He's the 18th player with over 600 doubles. His next double will tie with the absolute clubber and steroid era hero i guess barry bonds no hate to barry bonds i still think he's a phenomenal player but you know he's tied him with that whole thing uh, so miggy's right there he's one away from tying barry bonds and his next hit will tie wade boggs at 3010 so miggy just you know as i said having an incredible career getting towards the end of his career you know capping you know just reaching milestone after milestone so congratulations to Miguel Cabrera. I remember watching him, you know, forever, early 2000s, 2010s, you know, winning Triple Crown, just being an elite player. Um, so I'm just happy to see childhood heroes, you know, finishing up their career with grace. So congratulations to Miggy. Another old player, we got Gerardo, Gerardo Parra. Uh, he's retiring, I think, effective immediately. Don't think he's waiting out the rest of the season. He played 12 seasons, and he will step into a – special assistant position in the Nationals front office. He turned 35 this week and decided to call it quits uh, at the ripe age of 35. He signed a minor league deal but opted out of playing in AAA after not making the opening opening day roster. And, you know, I kind of feel for this. I don't know if I'm willing to play minor leagues at the age of 35. You know, at that point, you're not – I don't know if you're really going after, you know, all those accolades and, you know, making your way and working as hard as you might have worked – uh, in years past, you're kind of just coasting at that point. Uh, but over his career, he played with the Diamondbacks, Brewers, Orioles, Giants, and the Nationals, where he ended his career. He batted 275 with 90 home runs in his career. Not a big power hitter, uh, definitely a contact guy. Um, and he was an international signing in 2004. More of a defensive guy, not a power guy, as I said. He won two gold gloves and a Wilson Defensive Player of the Year award. His glove started to slack later in his career, but he did pick up the bat and bat well at that point. And probably one of his most famous moments was in 2019 with that Nationals World Series team with that playoff run that they made. His walk-up song was Baby Shark, do 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 as we know. 
the the incredibly annoying song, but I think it has the most views in YouTube ever. Passing Gangnam Style, which is also a vibe and also a bop back back in the day, back in middle school. Um, yeah, but so we had Baby Shark when that was taking over, you know, taking over the world, and all the fans would do the Baby Shark dance. Uh, you know, he didn't have impactful numbers in that World Series, but he did make a difference. Was a great leader. Was a great rallying point for the fans with that um, with that walk up with that walk up music. He then went to play one year in Japan in 2020, but did return to Washington, where you know he is in that minor league position, which ended up leading to his retirement. So, just want to say congratulations to Gerardo, Gerardo Para on a great career. Um, you know, got that World Series ring and just known as a great fielder, contact hitter, especially just a great leader. And he had his moment of fame. He was in the hearts and minds of every American with Baby Shark. So, congratulations. Next, we're going to. Um, the MLB is planning on playing a certain amount of games in London come 2023, 2024, and 2026. I don't know why not 2025. I guess they just don't like that year. Uh, the Cardinals and Cubs are the leading candidates to play in London. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> to play in London next year. I don't have allergies anymore. I think I just choked on some air. You know, it's hard to breathe sometimes. But um, yeah, so Cardinals and Cubs leading candidates to play in London next year. Commissioner Rob Manfred and London Mayor Sadiq Khan announced the formation of the MLB London Legacy Group, which sounds pretty interesting. Um, you know, it should bring more games to London, as we said. It includes member of members of the Greater London Authority, so you know the city of London and the surrounding neighborhoods, and also members of Baseball Softball UK. So also getting softball in there, also getting our female counterparts involved. Hopefully we can see some more softball in London as well. And as you may remember from one of our earlier shows, I think it might have been the first show, uh, the Home Run Derby X is going to be played in London's Crystal Palace Park in July. You know, Home Run Derby X is just a bunch of superstars, retired superstars, you know, representing the teams that they played for. Nick Swish is going to be in it, so I probably will be tuned as my favorite Yankee of all time will be in it. Um, so the so the MLB is just expanding into London, you know, following the NFL uh, following the NBA with these expansions to different countries. And I'm happy to see it because the MLB, as we've said, is very traditional. They do have a, they do have a Canadian team, but we do want to see more outreach and reaching more fans, especially because there's such a, there's such a MLB presence in other countries. Um, so I think catering to different countries is a great idea for the MLB. So excited for those London games. And then to finish off our news here, we're going to go with our picks from this week. We were 53 and 39, I believe. So still over 500. Not as great as we have been last week or weeks before, but still over 500. So we're making moves out here. Uh, we started out rough at 5 and 9 on the first day. I was getting really worried. We we're thinking we we're going to have our first under 500 week. But then we pulled it together with a stretch of 11 and 6, 7 and 3, 7 and 2, 11 and 4, and 13 and 5. So that stretch really picked us up out of the dirt. And then we finished with a five and six day yesterday. We'll get to some of the bad beats, why I was fairly upset with what happened yesterday. But I'm very happy with this week uh, and our overall record staying above 500. I can't ask for anything more. I just want to have some credibility and some picks, have some authority over the picks, just so everyone doesn't think I'm just making it up and I'm just picking random teams. I do my research, I swear. I do my research. But just straight into bad beats. You got the Mets sweep a doubleheader, and then they win both, obviously, because that's what a sweep is. But then they lose the next day when I picked them. So I picked against the Mets um, in a doubleheader against the Phillies. This is a different game than the um, the crazy you know ninth inning game. But I picked the Phillies for both of those doubleheader games. Um, or not the Phillies, uh, the Braves. Excuse me, the Braves. But Ronald Acuna, I thought he would play in both games possibly, maybe be a DH in the first one. He did not play in the first game. Uh, but Charlie Morton got off to a bad start. He was really one of the reasons I picked them, him and Acuna, to win the first game. Um, and the Braves, they, they made a bit of a comeback, but you know the runs that they let up in the beginning were not – it was too much for them to surmount. Look at that vocabulary word, surmount, to get over, I believe. Um, but – Charlie Morton let up a decent amount of runs, and if you're watching the game, I was watching the game while I was getting my tan on here in College Park. Uh, he let up so many runs on soft contact. I remember uh, Lindor 
Could have been double play, but it was just too slow, and he beat it out for, to, to then score a run. Um, so just really unfortunate. Not, not giving up a ton of hard hits. Um, and then Acuna went on to play in the second game, but the Braves still got shut out. Austin Riley went over 4, and Ozuna went over 4. So not what you expect, not what you want from those those middle-of-the-order power guys, guys that could bring you a lot of RBIs, but it is what it is. Carlos Carrasco looked elite, uh, had an eight-inning shutout. He won the player of the day, best in the bump for that day. Did not expect that to happen. I don't know what I expect out of Carlos Carrasco anymore, but he was looking good against us, and you know the Mets bullpen is always going to bring the heat, always going to look amazing. So that was our, our first bad beat. And then, yeah, they lost the next day when I picked them, so. You know, just it just happens. It just happens sometimes. You know, can't bet with your heart. Can't pick with your heart. Excuse me. Next, we're going to the Yankees beating the Blue Jays. Um, I picked them to lose that day to lose their win streak, but then the next day they go on to lose their win streak when I picked them to win. So the, I picked them to lose, and the Yankees went on to smack the Blue Jays nine and nine to one. Alec Manoa did not have a great. It wasn't a bad start, but not a great start. I really pick. He was really a basis for that pick as well. Uh, I thought he because he shut down the Yankees earlier in the season, so I really thought that was going to happen again. Uh, he only allowed one through one run through six, but his offense could not muster anything. You know, only scoring that one run. Uh, but on that note, you know, George Springer went over three. Lourdes Gurriel went over four. Matt Chapman went over three. Another thing. Another thing you don't want to see. You know, that heart of the order. Same thing as the other picks with Atlanta. Uh, Aaron Judge had three RBIs and Stan had two RBIs. So if you have two of those guys going in one game, I really like five RBIs, not even five, but just in general, if you have those two guys going, those two guys mashing, those two guys, you know, absolutely lighting up the scoreboard. I really don't think you stand a chance against the Yankees. Uh, but then the next day I picked the Yankees to win to, you know, continue that win streak. The Blue Jays ended up winning 2-1. Yosei Kikuchi, you know, he looked great through six. Didn't really see that coming from him. Nestor let up two runs through four. His probably his worst start of the year. You know, he's been elite, probably been the, uh, um, you know, undercover ace for the New York Yankees. Uh, Judge went over three and Rizzo went over four. So, you know, two more guys. You don't want to see that happen uh, because if that happens, you are probably going to lose. But we got two more real quick. We got two Pirates catchers getting, uh, leaving the game. So Jason Van Meter had to catch in the blowout loss to the Reds. Of course, I picked the Pirates. Who's going to pick the Reds? No offense. Pirates backup catcher Andrew Knapp got ejected because he was arguing a check swing from the dugout. And why are you arguing? I mean, like, you know, you're supporting your team, but, you know, you have better things to do. May possibly go into backup catch when Roberto Perez tripped rounding around second and injuring his hamstring. So, like, you know. I don't know. Weigh your priorities here, please. If we're because I know these picks are super important. I'm not getting on Twitter and you know cursing you out if my picks don't work, but just think about it. Just please think about it. <laughs> so then Van Meter had to go into catch. He had never caught in the pros. He caught in high school about 12 years ago because he was their emergency catcher for the Pirates. So he entered the game with a 2-2 tie, which is not really where you want to come in if you haven't caught, especially if you're in high school. I don't think people are throwing 95 in high school, depending on what high school you go to. So you're just not really ready. Uh, a wild pitch advanced a runner to second base. Uh, he just couldn't really frame pitches. They walked three people that inning and one hit by pitch. Uh, and he also took a foul ball off the face mask. And it was like a moment. It was like, welcome to the MLB as a catcher, Van Meter. Um, they went on to score seven runs that inning. It's not all his fault, of course. But, you know, the pitcher's got to be a little less comfortable. Base runner's getting a little bit bigger of a lead. A little bit better of a jump, you know. You know, the hit-by-pitch doesn't help, so that was just pretty upsetting. <laughs> um, and finally, we got from yesterday, I had to add this in really late because it really, really made me upset. We have the White Sox absolutely blowing it yesterday. It's another incredible lead, similar to the Mets. They were up 8-2 in the 8th. They lit up six runs in the ninth to make it 8-8. Uh, each team, them and the Guardians, scored one run in the 10th. And then the Guardians went on to score three unanswered in the 11th inning. Josh Naylor, who won our best in the box yesterday, had eight RBIs. And he had seven RBIs coming after the eighth inning. He had a grand slam to tie in the ninth to send it to extras. And then he hit a walk-off three-run home run. And similar to the Mets, as I said, but instead, this time my pick didn't 
go through. Uh, you know, I lost that pick. I'm on the other side of history here, on the other side of the historic comeback. So that was a pretty, pretty bad, pretty freezing take, for bad beat there. Uh, next, we're going to go to the Young Gun of the Week. So stick around for that. course on to our young guns of the week we got three this week one who's not so young but he's always going to be a young player in my eyes even though he's older than me but first we're starting out with julio rodriguez who is indeed young you know recently called up prospect he went eight for 26 this week or 307 uh he hit a triple a double had two walks and a stolen base uh, he entered may hitting 205 with an obp of 284 and now he is hitting 255 with an OBP over 315. He got off to a very shaky start to the season. He was my rookie of the year for the AL. I was feeling pretty self-conscious about the pick. But as you know, uh, it's about patience. It's about persistence. Acting like I'm doing something. But persistence for Julio Rodriguez. He's really looking more comfortable, looking more successful at the plate. And you already know he's a great fielder, has made some highlight catches in the outfield, especially that one catch where he blew a bubble uh, mid-sliding grab for the Mariners. And the Mariners are still ahead of the Rangers right now, uh, even though they've been 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Uh, they're super young, as we know, with Gelnick and Rodriguez um, and their new pitching staff, Logan Gilbert. You know, And the pitching staff is looking absolutely fantastic, kind of keeping them afloat right now. Also got Robbie Ray, of course, the Cy Young winner. Uh, but shout out Julio Rodriguez for really picking up the bat, really figuring it out at the plate. And he won our first Young Gun of the Week. So congratulations. For Not our super young guy here, but we're going to go with Manny Machado. He is 29, right before that 30-year-old cutoff I think I decided on. Um, I feel like he's really young. Just, I don't know, he's been a pro forever. I remember him. He, he's been playing since he was 19 in Baltimore and just absolutely tearing it up in one of the best third baseman slash shortstops, infielders, and hitters uh, in the MLB since coming to the league. Um, he went 10 for 25 this week, which is 400. He had three home runs with five RBIs. He is now hitting 381 with a 1082 OPS. He's been having one of the best years so far at the plate, and you know he's holding it down at third base. Him and Eric Hosmer are having tremendous years. They're both looking absolutely fantastic for the Padres. The Padres are 19-11 and 11 in the NL West, which is obviously super competitive as we see. I think everyone's over 500 in that division, which is absolutely insane. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. Um, and they're doing all this. Uh, Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, doing all this without Fernando Tatis. Um, they really strapped up. They really came to play, especially those two guys. Uh, ever since like a really disappointing last season. And for Manny Machado, he is first in the MLB in wins above replacement or war, offensive war, batting average, hits, runs, total bases. He's also top five in OBP, slugging, and OPS. And he is top 10 in home runs and RBIs. And we know he has an absolute cannon from third base. He's going to be holding down that third base, that hot corner, He's going to be one of the best fielders, has been one of the best fielders, and will be for a very long time. And he just had a tremendous week alongside Eric Hosmer for the Padres. So congratulations to Manny Machado for winning Young Gun, even if he is not super young. He is still a Young Gun of the Week. And for our third Young Gun of the Week, we have Royals pitcher Brad Keller at the age of 26. He started one game this week. And he won against the favored San Francisco Giants. He pitched six and one-third innings, allowing only four hits and striking out two with zero earned runs. He earned his first win of the season after losing two tough games to the Detroit Tigers and the Mariners, who we were talking about earlier, who aren't bad, but the Tigers are, are that's a tough loss to take uh, for Brad Keller. His ERA dropped to 174 with an 839 whip after his win this week. And his ERA plus is at 2-2-1, which is absolutely tremendous. Um, you know, he found moderate success in his rookie year with the Royals going 9-6 with a 3.08 ERA in 2018. But 
But 2019 and 2021 have not been friendly to him, have not been kind to him. He earned two double-digit losses in both of those seasons. He had a great short in 2020 with the COVID-shortened season. He went 5-3 and three with a 247. But in 2019 and 2021, with those you know bigger sample sizes, more games pitched, he did not. But this year, at 1-2, and two, He's looking pretty good. Uh, you know, not the records you would hope for as of now, but I don't really think that's in his power as much being on that, you know, that that you know, you don't expect much from that Royals team. So, you know, they're they're growing, they're growing throughout the season. But he his ERA is sitting at 174, as I mentioned before. So just a great start for Brad Keller, a great way for him, and he is our third young gun of the week. So congratulations. And next on to the old head of the week. So for old head of the week, we have two players this week. One pitcher, one hitter. We're going to start with the hitter. We're going to start with CJ Crone. He is 32 years old. So not the oldest, but, you know, over that 30 threshold, as we mentioned, he's the Rockies' first baseman, of course. Uh, If you've been watching the MLB, you've been seeing that he's been absolutely tearing it up. This week he went 9 for 25 or 360 with two two doubles, a home run, and three RBIs. He is now hitting 300 this season with an OPS just under 980, flashing that incredible power in a hitter-friendly park in Colorado. But that's his thing. I mean, I, if, if I can go to a stadium that makes me hit better, why not? Why wouldn't you? Um, don't knock a guy for you know doing what's best for his bat. He's been one of the f- best first basemen this year on a decent Rockies team in that awesome NL West that we mentioned before. He's up there at first baseman with Eric Hosmer and Anthony Rizzo. He did struggle yesterday and the day before, but he has still kept up those stellar power numbers thus far this week. In the MLB in the rankings this year, he's second in home runs, fourth in RBIs, and top 10 in OPS, top 10 in war, wins above replacement. He leads the Rockies in just about every single hits category. One of the better hitters, best hitters, one of the best players on that team. Uh, he leads them in in hits, doubles, home runs, RBIs, average, slugging, OPS, and OPS plus, and total bases. And he is second in OBP behind Jose Iglesias, who's a much you know that's he's a way more of a contact guy. Uh, so you know OBP, he's just probably more probably higher, but still OBP being in second for OBP for a power hitter. Um, albeit it is on the Rockies team, that's uh, just a smaller sample size, but still he's basically. He's the best hitter on that team. Very easy to see that. Um, he's bounced a bit. He's bounced around a bit in his career, but he's always been that really steady power bat. And as I said, Coors Field has really, really treated him um, with that. With that, the thin oxygen has really treated him well. Um, as last year in his first year, he had a 905 OPS and hit 28 home runs. He's looking to have another have another great year in the power department. High OPS, a lot of home runs. Looking to just lead that team, you know, to, to a surprising finish possibly in that NL West division, really competitive, and they're going to be competitive this year. Um, and as I said, he's the best player on that team, best hitter at least, and they're having a very surprising year. So I'm excited to see what he can do going forwards at the ripe old age of 32. So congrats, CJ Crone, for <clears throat> winning our first old head of the week. And next, we are going to the mound for our second old head of the week, and it is Taylor Rogers at 31 years old for the Padres, a relief pitcher slash closer. An incredible bullpen arm for that Padres team. He had two appearances this week with two saves, so two, two save opportunities, two saves, 100% this week. He had one inning pitch in each game, first one against Cleveland, second one against Miami. Both games were a one-run game. Uh, in Cleveland, he got out the three hottest hitters on in the MLB. Maybe uh, the three hottest hitters on that team for sure. You got out Stephen Kwan, Jose Ramirez, and Owen Miller. As we know, Jose Ramirez is having one of the best years of the plate this year. Stephen Kwan, really exciting. Owen Miller, also really exciting and surprising. Struck out the heart, or didn't strike out, but got all got out all those guys in the heart of that order. Um, and then another run, one, one run game against Miami, as I said before. He struck out two in the ninth. He struck out Jorge Soler 
and Jesus Aguilar, and then got a Garrett Cooper pop out to finish the game. His ERA for this year still sits at a flat zero zilch, and his whip is sitting at 0.43, which is immaculate. His opponents were hitting 138 in April, and they are currently hitting zero, triple zeros in May through his three appearances. So Taylor Rogers is looking like a shutdown closer in San Diego. Congratulations, Taylor Rogers, for winning the old head of the week for our pitcher side of the things. And congratulations to CJ Crone, as I said before. And next, we are going to go to our surprises of the week. We have, let's see, we see, we have three surprises. We got two two pleasant surprises and one player who is kind of not meeting expectations this week. So we'll be right back for that. We are back with our surprises of the week. We got two good ones. One not so good one. Uh, we're going to start with a good one here. Uh, we're going to go with Manuel Margot, Tampa Bay Rays outfielder. He won the AL Weekly Honors from MLB. He went 11 for 23 this week, which is 478. So just under 500, which is an incredibly hot week for Manuel Margot. He hit one triple and three home runs and had 11 RBIs and four stolen bases in just seven games. Speed, power, clutch, just everything going for Manuel Margot this week in the Tampa Bay Rays. And despite a blowout loss versus the Angels yesterday, which my pick utterly failed, he went two for three with two stolen bases. He's now hitting 337 with a 900 OPS. So not the power numbers you expect from Manuel Margot, but a pleasant surprise nonetheless. He's a career 255 hitter with an OPS around 700. So as I said, not really that power hitter, but he is supplying the power this year in Tampa Bay. He's never hit over 270 and he has never had an OPS over 722. So just really exceeding expectations, small sample size, of course, this week, but it's only, he can only go up. It's only, it's a positive thing. It's a positive thing that we're seeing out of Manuel Margot, just an incredible week. He did leave yesterday's blowout loss against the Angels, uh, with an apparent injury after a rough slide on a steal that he did inevitably steal the base. Um, but he is only listed at as day-to-day going forward, so we should see him back in the lineup maybe in a day or two, uh, maybe pinch hitter, maybe pinch hitter, pinch runner, excuse me. But congratulations, Manuel Marco, having, you know, Kavanaugh an absolutely fantastic week with a two-for-three day, shortened day against the Angels. Uh, we're seeing great things out of Manuel Marco, so congratulations. Next, we're heading to the Capitol, right down the road, right down the Metro line to the Washington Nationals first baseman, Josh Bell. He was 8 for 26 this week, hitting over 300. He had six RBIs with two home runs and a double this week. And he's one of another one of the best, I know I keep saying one of the best first basemen, but we have a lot of great third basemen this year, or first basemen this year. Um, you know, he's up there with Eric Hosmer, Rizzo, CJ Crone, of course, with those power numbers. And it's just an incredible list. Like, what what, what what a list that is. Like, last year, if you were going to say C.J. Crone, Eric Hosmer, Anthony Rizzo, and Josh Bell were going to be some of the best first basemen, better than Freddie Freeman, arguably. I don't think anyone would have seen that coming, but that's why we love the MLB. Super surprising. People, people struggle that we might not think struggle. People do well that we might not see coming. You know, baseball is a super, super funky sport. But we love it for Josh Bell and all of those guys. He is second in batting average, first in OPP, second in slugging, first in OPS, and OPS plus, first in total bases, and first in home runs. Oh, what a list for Josh Bell. We did not see this coming. And he looks to be having his best year in Washington thus far after not a great year last year coming over from the Pirates. Um, he had that all-star year in 2019, but he did struggle in 2020. He's on pace to hit over 20 home runs, around 40 doubles, get around 100 RBIs and 300 total bases. So all career years in those departments for Josh Bell. And as I said, one of his best seasons since his all-star season in 2019. And who knows, he might make an all-star game, might be an all-star backup, even a starting first baseman for the National League. Freddie Freeman's probably going to be the starter or Eric Hosmer. But I think he'll find a spot on that team somewhere. 
So congratulations, Josh Bell, for being another surprise of this week. Having a great week. And we're gonna go, we're gonna end this on a on a on a not as positive, a little bit negative note. I'm sorry. I probably should have formatted this better so I could have a good surprise, bad surprise, good surprise, little bad surprise sandwich. But we're ending it with Corey Seeger of the Texas Rangers. He went one for 19 this week with five strikeouts and zero extra base hits. One hit was coming off one single, and he did walk twice. But his average dropped down around 40 points from 270 to 230, so not what you want to see. His OPS is sub-300. His OBP, excuse me, an OPS of sub-300 is absolutely horrible. But his OBP is now sub-300, which is not as horrible, but definitely not as good. You want to see on-base numbers, of course. That's what we... That's what we look at a lot now since since Moneyball, honestly, from the movie uh, with those athletics teams. The Rangers are actually 3-2 and two in this week's span of those games. Um, you know, and so far as contract, you know, signing that mega contract, it's not looking fantastic, uh, but he's there. You know, he's there for the long run. It's a really long contract, I think 10 years or more. Signed in there until age 37 season, I think. Uh, so, you know, just be patient. Small sample size, as I said, we're – we're still in like the, the first month and a half of the season, so nothing to get too worried about, but also, you know, nothing to get too excited about. You know, you got to balance it out with all these surprises and all these hot starts and slow starts. Um, but yeah, Corey Seager had a really rough week for Texas this week. Um, so we're, we're hoping that he gets back to that, you know, all-star, uh, all-star form, that World Series MVP form, NLCS form. You know, we know Corey Seager. We know what he can do. We know what he supplies to the plate. Um, so we're just hoping he gets back back to those those previous levels. Uh, so those three guys are our surprises of the week, and we're going to go to our prospects of the week. We got a couple call ups this week who I really want to you know highlight, and just really excited for these guys to be making the show for the first time. So we'll be right back with that. So on to our prospects of the week. We are going to start out first with Royce Lewis, who is a up-and-coming call-up for the Minnesota Twins. He was the 44th overall prospect at 22 years old. He made his MLB debut when Carlos Correa uh, was day-to-day, was out that game with a hand injury after getting hit in the hands twice by a baseball. That's got to be one of the most painful things ever to happen in baseball. Uh, if you get hit in the in the leg, in the back, you know, there's a little more meat there. Uh, but in the fingers, you're just shattering bones and just get hit twice. I don't know. I feel like your fingers would swell up and you couldn't even grip a bat. And it's got to be so painful. But anyway, Royce Lewis went one for four in his debut. He got his first career hit. That was a single in the eighth inning. He is now hitting three for ten. So congratulations for a pretty good week for Royce Lewis. He was the first overall pick in 2017 from the tw- or by the Twins out of J. Sarah Catholic High School in California. And before coming up to the majors, he spent 24 games in AAA at St. Paul. Through those games, he batted 310 with a 430 OBP and a 993 OPS, so looking fantastic in AAA. Uh, therefore, they had to bring him up to the majors. He was next up with Carlos Correa being out for a couple games. Through those 24 games in AAA, he had 11 doubles, 3 home runs, and 8 stolen bases with 11 RBIs. So just a very, very productive stint in AAA. Uh, He spent 2017 through 2019 between single and AA, but really exploded in the Fall League in 2019. Through 22 games in the Fall League, he hit 9 doubles and 3 home runs for 20 RBIs, and he hit 353 with a 975 OPS in that 2019 Fall League. He's... Uh, you know, he's an up and coming shortstop, probably going to spend a lot more time on the bench, maybe get designated for assignment, you know, with Correa coming back, but you're really excited for him going forward. I don't know where he really stands with now them signing Correa for such a long time, possibly get traded, possibly switch positions, be a, you know, a utility guy, backup middle infielder, but congratulations Royce O'Neal for getting that big call up to the show. Next, we got George Kirby, who is a call up on mother's day. He was called up to start on Mother's Day with his family in attendance to watch his first career start. He's just 24 years old. He's the 30th overall prospect and the Mariners' top prospect. And he is the fifth-rated right-handed pitching prospect in the MLB. So one of the best promising pitchers. 
one of the best promising right-handed pitchers uh, in the MLB pipeline and now in the MLB. Uh, he was called up to make that start in on Mother's Day against the Tampa Bay Rays. He did get the no decision, but he pitched six innings, allowing only four hits, seven strikeouts, uh, no earned runs and no walks. So very productive, very, very promising start in that career, no de- first career start with no decision. But regardless, very, very good showing. It was a stellar outing, as I said. He was the 20th overall pick in 2019 out of Elon. And fun fact, my brother went to Elon. He did not play baseball. I think he was going to try out for club baseball, but he never really did. But Elon's great baseball school, great school, uh, really beautiful campus, one of the most beautiful campuses in the, in the country. I visited there, had a lot of fun with my brother twice, uh, you know, great school. Anyway, he was uh, George Kirby, not my brother was 2-0 in AA Arkansas before getting the call-up, skip AAA. He had a 1.82 ERA with 32 strikeouts over 24 and two-thirds inning in AA. And he is the fourth Mariners prospect to be called up this year. As we know, Julio Rodriguez, who we mentioned before, J-Rod. We got Matt Brash, a pitcher, and Penn Murphy. So he is the fourth of those guys, a fourth of a really, really great farm system. Seattle has a lot of promising young players especially in this pitching rotation with players like Logan Gilbert and now Kirby. So excited to see what the Mariners can do this year, Um, you know, being that up-and-coming franchise and excited to see what Kirby can do going forwards. So congratulations to George Kirby on the call-up and the Prospect of the Week. Um, You know, Prospect of the Week nomination and win. Next, we got Alec Thomas, another Mother's Day call-up. 22 years old, was the 18th ranked MLB prospect, top 20, very impressive. The fourth overall outfield prospect, another very impressive feat, and the top Diamondbacks prospect, yet another. Uh, He went one for three in his debut, hit a double in the fifth off of Rockies pitcher, Herman Marquez, another young, very good pitcher. He's now hitting one for six, going 0-3 in his next game, um, which was yesterday. But... He was a second-round pick in 2018 out of Mount Carmel High School in Chicago. Ask my friend from Chicago. He was not aware of Mount Carmel. Uh, he, he remembers Carmel, but not, not, not precisely that high school. But still, uh, you know, second-round pick out of high school is incredible. He spent 24 games in AAA where he hit 277 this year. That was in Reno. He had eight doubles, one triple, and four home runs and 14 RBIs. So just another really, really productive start to his 2022, really get really earning that call up uh, for this year with Carson Kelly out. I think they had spot with him with him out this year uh, or out for, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, and Arizona has gotten a really good play out of young players like Pavin Smith, Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly. You know, those two pitchers looking great and Pavin Smith, you know, holding his own in the batter's box. So congratulations to Alec Thomas and other Mother's Day call up, you know, getting that first career hit. And, you know, just making it to the show, as we say. And our final prospect of the week, we got Joey Wentz, Tigers pitcher. He's just 24 years old, drafted in the second round in 2016, so a little bit older. Tigers pitcher, as I mentioned, he's Detroit's 12th overall prospect. So, you know, not a top guy, but they do need him in the the rotation as of now. He was called up just yesterday, and he will pitch Wednesday against the Athletics. He went to Shawnee Mission East High School where he won the 2015 Junior Home Run Derby and the 2015 MLB Junior All-Star Game. So while he is a pitcher now, he does know how to swing the bat. He does know how to, you know, swing the wood. So I thought that was pretty interesting that he won the Home Run Derby. And he hit a 453-foot home run. So I thought that was pretty incredible as well. He spent two years in rookie ball, one season in single A, one in high A, and two in double A. You know, he's been around that minor league system since 2016, but finally getting that call up. Last year, he went 0 for 3 with a 6.75 ERA. So, not a great start, obviously. Not a very good year from him last year, but before being called up this year, had a little bit better luck. He had to earn that loss going 0 and 1 with a 4.12 ERA. Not great, uh, but, you know, they saw enough out of him in five starts that they needed to bring him up to bolster that rotation with Casey Mize, you know, dealing with that elbow inflammation, inflammation and Matt Manning currently making his rehab starts and in his rehab assignment. So Joey Wentz will fill out their rotation. So congratulations to Joey Wentz for making the show and pitching tomorrow for me or pitching today 
when this comes out on Wednesday. So congratulations to all of those prospects for making just major, major baseball moves. And next, we're going to be back with our social media moments of the week. So to start off our social media moments of this week, we have a really painful moment here. We got Jose Altuve getting hit in the groin in his at-bat in his return from the injured list. He recently returned from the injured list after missing 12 games with a with a tough hamstring injury. He then went on to exit Wednesday's game, last Wednesday's game against the Mariners early. He fouled a pitch off of his groin. Um, very, very horrible thing to happen to a baseball player. Uh, he fell down in pain, was rolling around for a little bit. But then he went on to finish the at-bat with a leadoff single, and then he would later score on Alex Bregman's sacrifice fly. To be honest, I would have gone home if that happened to me. Not home as in home play. I would have literally gone to my house. I uh, would, have, would have been out of commission for a couple of days, would have maybe went to the hospital, you know, just on the couch doing nothing. I can't even imagine. That's painful. I had a friend who got hit in that area and had to go to the hospital. Not, not a great, not a great thing to happen to you. Um, but you know, he got back in that box, laced a solid single and came in for a run. He really just helping the Astros win. Even, you know, he's dealing with that. That's a very tough, tough injury. Um, and he's okay. Now he's playing, of course, you know, he's just such a trooper, such a hard working player, but it was an interesting moment to see, um, so we're just happy that he's doing okay. Uh, and then just for our next moment, we got a general idea here. Just I love, love the Mother's Day gear. I love the Mother's Day pink. I just love it on every jersey. They had the hats this year. Also just wanted to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Obviously, it was last Sunday, two days ago on the 8th. Um, and just more specifically, happy Mother's Day to all the baseball moms, all the sports moms. You know, they sacrifice so much, uh, you know, sacrifice, especially my mom, sacrifice, you know, going to re- religion, family, vacation, just all these things. Like, you got to give up so much time. Think about it, like, at least for me as, a, you know, the athlete or my, and my brother, you know, all that time you have to give up, you know, your parents have to give that up too, especially your mother. My mom sacrificed a lot of family time, so I just wanted to shout her out. Happy Mother's Day to her. Um, you know, always just supporting their children, supporting them at games. Um, so I just thought, I just wanted to say that, but as I said, I love the pink gear. Uh, I love the pink bats. They just look so clean. I don't know why they just look perfect. And like, they're just so pop into the eye. Uh, the socks were also pretty nice. Those stand socks, not, not too pink, you know, a little less subtle pink, which is good. Um, Bryce Harper also said, I love you mom after absolutely launching a home run. So I thought that was pretty nice of him said it into the camera as he was walking back to the dugout after he homered off Max Scherzer, who me and my friend always talk about. Max Scherzer doesn't let up a lot of runs, but every run he does let up is off a absolute nuke home run. Also, we had Aaron Judge had some incredible custom cleats for his mother, Patty, uh, pink and purple cleats uh, with yellow laces. So I thought those were really fresh and just really, really supportive of, you know, those mothers out there. So just wanted to shout out those two guys, shout out the mothers, and shout out all that incredible equipment that I really love seeing. It's like Father's Day as well. They're they're just they just come up with some incredible stuff. Um, next, we got Buster Posey and Brian Wilson back together again this week. Buster Posey's children uh, threw out the first pitch. It was his retirement celebration before the Cardinals game this week, and then. Uh, Brian Wilson was also at the celebration. He pretended to go out there and throw, you know, a, a pitch to Buster Posey. And Brian Wilson looked completely different. His hair was dyed, I believe, back then. He had the mohawk and the dyed beard. His hair is now straight long, like like a you know old rock star, old uh, you know rock guitarist, whatnot. Straight long, light brown with no beard. He looked like a completely different person. Uh, the two, you know, they they embraced each other. It was it was just such childhood vibes. Childhood memories, those two together again. You know, just remembering Buster Posey as a young, great catcher, you know, especially before that injury, but one of the best catchers in the league. And Wilson being one of the best closers, being elite, you know, doing this and doing all the antics and whatnot. Wearing those Air Mags in the dugout, I thought that was fresh as heck. 
He wore those really expensive Nikes, which are from Back to the Future, which was incredibly fresh. Uh, they won the World Series together in 2010. Wilson led the league in saves that year with 48 in an ERA of 181. Um, <clears throat> 2010 was Buster Posey's rookie year, where he hit 305 with an OPS of 862, and he was just two years removed from his MVP season, where he hit 336 with a 957 OPS and a league-leading 171 OPS+. Plus. And in his MVP year, he hit 103 RBIs, 103 RBIs with 24 home runs and 39 doubles. So just those two guys just being elite talents for those Giants teams, uh, the 2010 Giants team specifically who won that World Series. It was great to see them back together, especially, uh, you know, Buster Posey with his kids too. Just a great celebration of Buster Posey. I'm happy that Brian Wilson was able to be there. And just a little on a funnier note, we had two drop balls in Chicago uh, in a game between White Sox and the Guardians. I was watching the second one, actually. But first, we're going to go to the Gavin Sheets ball. It sounds like the announcer says, are you bad wording me? Are you, you know what I mean? Um, but it's actually, he said, are you kidding me? And then the other player, the other announcer said Sheets at the same time. So it kind of sound you can kind of infer what I'm talking about. But me and my friends did hear it, and it really did sound like it. I had to look on Twitter to see, like, you know, when you have to, like, know what they're saying. When you, If you know what they're saying, you can hear it differently. But at first, I thought he cursed on live air, and I was like, he might get fined or fired. But anyway, Ahmed Rosario, I was watching this one. I was in shock because I thought the game was over. Um, and obviously, they were, they were losing by a lot. And then he just, he just was really windy, and he dropped the ball in left field. Uh, I know Rosario plays a lot of – he plays some outfield, primarily an infielder and part-time center fielder. He was playing left. And Gavin Sheets is also an infielder, but he too plays outfield. Uh, I guess it was really windy, as I said, uh, caused those two guys to drop those balls. But, you know, stuff like that is, is – is, it is interesting to see, especially when it happens twice and especially with that announcer moment. Um, I thought it was really funny. And, you know, I was, you know, maybe internally making fun of Ahmed Rosario and then they came back to win and spoiled my pick, so – you know, it all comes full circle. Don't 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 treat others the way you want to be treated. The golden rule, as we learned in middle school. But uh, so those are our social media moments. Some good ones, funny ones, heartfelt ones. Uh, just want to shout out our mothers again. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'll be seeing my mother shortly. But anyway, on to the next we got today in history. So stick around for that. finish off the show we always go to our history section of course we start with our today in history so today in history for may 11th we're going back to 1924 when we got moses fleetwood walker passing away on this day in history he's historically credited as the first black man to play in the mlb he was a catcher from mount pleasant ohio he went to alberlin college and the university of michigan he played for the Toledo Blue Stockings of the American Association in 1884. He batted 363 with an OPS of 106, hit two doubles and three triples across 42 major league games. Of course, he faced horrible racism, horrible bigotry, but performed at a professional and sensational level in the professional baseball league at the time. His brother became the second black athlete to do the same feat, uh, to, you know, be in the MLB with the same Toledo team. He played just one season before getting injured, which caused him to be released by Toledo. But he became a successful businessman and a successful inventor after his baseball career. He was an advocate for black nationalism and edited The Equator, which was a newspaper. Uh, he published a book. Out Home Colony in 1908 about emigrating to actually emigrating back to Africa. And he died at the age of 67 in 1924. Just wanted to highlight Moses Fleetwood Walker and his life, celebrate his life on the anniversary of his death for doing great things for obviously civil rights, um, leading the way for Jackie Robinson, of course, who's much more notable. Um, but just wanted to share his story and highlight what he did for the MLB and this country and black nationalism. We go to 1948 now with Bob Osgood. 
who actually died in the middle of a rain delay. So Bob Osgood had been diagnosed with a heart ailment since his high school days, where he was named to Massachusetts All-State baseball teams. He was then signed to the Cubs out of high school, um, and his older brother Charles was actually on the Cubs at the time of his signing. Bob hit 280 in 25 at-bats that year, um, and he was assigned to the Springfield Cubs, but missed most of that season with the flu because he actually spent a lot of time in the hospital with the flu. So a little bit of foreshadowing with his you know, shaky health. He then went to the Marion Cubs where he caught two games for them, and it was soon thereafter doing a rain delay in Richmond, Indiana, that he collapsed and died in the dugout after dealing with a heart issue. As I mentioned, he had those heart ailments. His manager said he had been looking fairly, fairly bad, um, you know, the days before leading up and that he had been blue in the face a little bit. Um, and I thought it was interesting. You know, this is an interesting sports story. It's kind of sad. But I, I, th- I thought this quote by the manager, um, or actually his father, I think, I thought this quote was really interesting. Uh, he said he was a boy who loved baseball more than feared death. Um, and I know it's a bit extreme in this case, but, you know, Bob Osgood, just someone who's really living life, really playing baseball, the sport he loves. Um, even, you know, he's got this heart issue. It's it's definitely not safe today, maybe less more frowned upon today just because it's not as safe as I said. But, you know, someone that's chasing their dreams um, despite their adversity, um, you know, just learn a lesson that you can do. You can do anything. You know, we face obstacles, um, but you can get where you want to be. So and he did what he loved. So that, that I thought that was important to share. Next, we go to 1996 with Al Leiter's no-hitter, which was the first no-hitter in Miami Marlins history. The Marlins were looking to win their third game in a row over the Rockies, and Al Leiter pitched an absolute gem, as we know, as a no-hitter. 103 pitches, and against like one of the best offenses in the league, I think Colorado scored the most runs in a year, or in a season that year. Leiter struck out just two and or walked just two batters and struck out six. Um, and his offense provided a lot of firepower, a lot of security uh, and insurance runs for him. They had a 6-0 lead in the second. They then scored two more runs to go up 8-0. Then another run in the fifth to go 9-0. And then two more runs in the sixth to go up 11-0. And as I said, this Rocky team was one of the best hitting teams that year. They had Dante Bichette, Bo Bichette's father, of course, and Al Leiter actually struck him out in that game. Leiter was then named an all-star that season after pitching the first no-hitter in Miami Marlins history. Or they were the Florida Marlins back then, but now the Miami Marlins. Kevin Brown then recorded a no-hitter for the Marlins the next season. So crazy early success for the Marlins. Crazy good pitching as well. Um, And A.J. Burnett would throw the next hitter, next no-hitter, around four or five years later. So those two first ones came one year after the other, and then they had to wait about four or five years next for A.J. Burnett, who was a great Yankee pitcher. Um, You know, always got to relate it back to the Yankees, but shout out Al Leiter for that no-hitter, and his son Jack Leiter is absolutely disgusting at baseball uh, with the Texas Rangers in their minor league uh, farm system right now. Uh, But next we're going to 2011, where Tim Wakefield becomes the oldest Red Sox ever Red Sox player to ever play in a game. He took the mound at 44 years old in 282 days. He broke Deacon McGuire's record as oldest Red Sox player ever. Deacon McGuire was 44 and 280 days, so two days older. And he did that in 1908, which was his last game with the Red Sox. So it took around 103 years to break that record, which that might be, I don't even know. That's an incredible record lasting a long time. Um, and that season was actually followed by Tim Wakefield's season in 2011 was followed by the knuckleball documentary, which I actually have seen with Ari Dickey and actually fun fact, Ari Dickey was pitching or he came to visit a baseball camp, which I used to go to in my town at Ramapo college, uh, in Mawa, New Jersey. Um, it's, it was the all-star baseball camp. I don't think I was there for that year. Uh, but I, I did used to go to that camp and I have seen the documentary anyway, Tim Wakefield went five and three that year. Was at, uh, by the All Star break uh, with a four seven four ERA. He also recorded his two thousand strikeout in a Red Sox uniform that year. Um, got his one hundred ninety ninth career win that game when he appeared as the oldest pitcher or oldest Red Sox player ever. 
He then won his 200th game eight games later. And he finished his career in wins behind Roger Clemens and Cy Young for the Red Sox. Finished third, second in strikeouts for the Red Sox, and second in game appearances for the Red Sox behind Bob Stanley. He was first in game started and innings pitched for the Red Sox. And his career 4-4-2 ERA is the highest amongst pitchers of the all major league pitchers, not just the Red Sox, with at least 200 wins. So an incredible career from Tim Wakefield. Awesome to see that today in history he was the oldest Red Sox player ever. And for our final today in history, we go to 2011 when the animal Max Scherzer struck out 20 batters against the Detroit Tigers. He threw 119 pitches, 96 of which were strikes. That's incredible. Just such a high ratio or strike to ball ratio. And no, no wonder he struck out 20 people. Also, we know he's just one of the elite pitchers of this decade and still today. Uh, he was the fourth pitcher to strike out 20 batters in nine innings. Roger Clemens, who we mentioned before, did it twice in 1986 and 1996. So, so longevity from Roger Clemens. And we got Kerry Wood, who did it in 1998. My dad actually went to a, with my brother, all-star game, all-star weekend home run derby in New York when Josh Hamilton hit like 28 home runs in one round. And Kerry Wood was an all-star. And my dad went to throw Kerry Wood to baseball to sign it because he thought he was looking at him. And it actually hit Kerry Wood in the face. So my dad has hit Kerry Wood in the face with a baseball before. Don't know who else, what other journalists can say that. Um, but anyway, uh, fourth pitcher to strike out 20 batters. The third one was Randy Johnson in 2001, who we know has an absolute cannon. Um, also in those Ghostbusters commercials. Which are pretty funny. Uh, Scherzer's only was the only second pitcher to have 20 strikeouts and a no-hitter, which is insane, an insane club to be a part of. And he did not know the number of strikeouts that he had until the eighth inning, which is probably for the best because he probably would have thought too much about it, like with a no-hitter. So it's better to not find out until the end. Dusty Baker was the manager who we talked about before early in the show. Just thought I would include that. As we always say about Max Scherzer, me and my friend, he doesn't allow a lot of runs, but he does allow a lot of home runs. So he allowed two home runs that game, but he did strike out Miguel Cabrera three times, who we talked about earlier in the show. He struck out all-star Ian Kinsler and J.D. Martinez three times. J.D. Martinez was not the player I don't think he was. He is today back then, but still struck out Ian Kinsler and J.D. Martinez three times each. And Max Scherzer's quote after the game, one of the best quotes I've ever heard from a pitcher and Max Scherzer, because he's a little bit crazy, he says strikeouts are sexy. And yes, strikeouts are sexy. Um, so we remember your sexy history uh, for 2016 on this day in history. And to finish off the show, of course, we are going to just dive right into our obscure athlete or player throughout history this year or for this week. We got Norm Seaburn. He was born in St. Louis. He went to Missouri State and Washington University in St. Louis. I, I love how that, that college. I think my friend's parents went there just to Washington University in St. Louis. It's like you don't know where it is. It's just so many locations in one name. He then signed with the Yankees but had to serve in the military in 1954 and 55. He was a player and then went on to be a scout after he retired. He played over 1,400 games in a 12-year career, was a first baseman and left fielder as well. Played with the Yankees that he signed with, the Athletics, the Orioles, Angels, Giants, and Red Sox between 1956 and 1968. He was a two-time World Series champion, four-time All-Star, and one-time Gold Glove winner. His best season came in 1962 with the, I think they were the Kansas City Athletics at the time. He had 25 home runs with 117 RBIs and batted 308, and he came seventh in MVP voting. And his most famous moment probably that people know him for is being traded for Roger Maris, the Yankee great Hall of Famer in 1959. He was part of a seven-player trade um, between the Kansas City Athletics and the Yankees, him and Don Larson and Hank Bauer and Marv Thornberry, just incredible names. I love how they're so unique were traded for a 25-year-old Roger Maris and two other players. Sorry, other players, not as important as Roger Maris in this one. Maris then went on to win AL MVP in 1960, so the next year and 1961, and he would go on to break Babe Ruth's single-season home run record in 1961. 
So Norm Siebert, more, most notably known as the Roger part of the Roger Maris trade, but he did have a successful 12-year career, is a veteran, uh, went on to be a scout, as I said, you know, two-time, has two World Series. Uh, so shout out Norm Seaburn for being this week's obscure athlete. That was the history section of our show, one of my favorite parts. Um, and also that is going to conclude our show for week six. Once again, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for, you know, learning about baseball. Thank you for hearing my picks and whatnot. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. Thank you, Tunnel Vision Sports, of course, for putting this on. Uh, the audio team, the video team, the editing team, uh, Stephen Hayes, of course, for the opportunity. Follow our social medias at BITD Podcast on Instagram, on Twitter. It's just Jake Aiello3, A-I-E-L-L-O-3. Uh, follow, follow Tunnel Vision Sports on Instagram, too. Uh, go go to their website, follow them on Spotify, you know, Apple Music, TVS Network, uh, and YouTube at Tunnel Vision Sports. Uh, so that's all for me, guys. Thank you, of course, for watching. Um, and I will see you next week with more news. Next week, I am graduating college, actually. Got to see, actually, if I can do it next week. Got to figure out a camera situation. But if you do see me, I will be in my graduation cap and gown and stall. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then after that, we are going back to New Jersey. So we're going to be setting up a little bit of a different studio. But uh, I digress. I digress. Thank you guys for watching, and I'll see you next week.